With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate. I have been getting around some of the show hosts here at RCR in the last week and a half. And um, I want to catch up with them, uh, of course, into the new year. But also I want to hear what they're thinking about their shows and what they're planning to do this year, because I think it's going to be a very uh, interesting year, to say the least. So Rodney Hyde, Real Talk, joins me. Rodney, thanks for coming on. Well, thank you, Paul. Uh, It's lovely to be interviewed uh, (laughs) uh, for a change and um, not to have, I don't know, uh, asking questions, but I'm a bit nervous. That's a you, you talk about interviews. We do a lot of interviews here, and to me, most of the time, as it's going, don't think too much about it. It, it feels like more more like a chat usually than an interview. I mean, you might start off like you know, it's an interview, but it it's can, funny. It, it can morph into a chat, and I quite like that. I mean, as long as you're still finding out things, you yes. know, it's the most relaxed I've ever been, ever. In the media, and I've been a talkback host filling in uh, on other radio stations, and I was always very nervous and careful what I'd say. And I felt the same, of course, when I was an MP, because anything you say, uh, you know, could be taken out of context, and you can't speak your mind. And literally from day one with Rally Check Radio, it's been so easy because. For me, there's nothing off limits. And I'm just being myself. And it's a funny thing, but you can imagine that I was a young academic and I used to get interviewed on uh, radio and, and sometimes TV, and I'd just be, you know, e- expert economics person. And so you try and present yourself as an expert, which clearly you're not. And then you stand for parliament and you get interviewed and you try and be a, a, a politician and know what's what, and clearly you don't. And then you're an MP and you sort of got to pretend you know what's going on. And when you're a minister, you've got to really pretend what's going on because you haven't a clue. And um, so you're always being something that you're not in a funny way. It's always, you're always, before you go on air, you check yourself. You know what I mean? Mm. And with Rally Check Radio, I'm just me. And I just find it so easy and so relaxing and therapeutic. I actually missed being off air over the Christmas break. I really missed it. And you know what I really missed? I missed the listeners and their feedback. Because I feel that I'm not broadcasting out into the internet and people may be listening. I actually feel as though I'm part of a community and in a very privileged part of a community to be hosting a show. And I just can't wait till we get an opportunity where people can literally live ring in and talk to us. It's coming. I just love, I love, I love the feedback because it's makes me feel as though I am in this community, not I'm a, radio host who interviews people and has a listenership. Um, yeah. And where the show goes, it's very organic. Um, my history has been in science and economics, 
and of course politics. But that hardly interests me. Oh. And um, I really enjoy having people on the show who would be otherwise excluded from the media. So we'll talk about policy and technical things with people who, like Elizabeth Rader, like Professor Paul Moon, um, people who are Barry Brill, people who would otherwise be shut out of any discourse. Dr. Michael Bassett, for example, he wouldn't get in the Herald or on radio or TV, despite being a very distinguished academic and, you know, politician. So I love doing that. But I particularly love having people on who are, like, doing stuff in the community, uh, particularly, you know, the preppers and the health people doing alternate health. That's what I've really got to kick out, learning about their world. Um, Because to me, what they're doing is going to make a difference to tomorrow and the next generation. And I feel politics is so broken, so absolutely broken. The people are broken that are in there. And they've broken us. I really, that's how I I look at it. And I can't get excited that replacing one bunch with another bunch is going to fix it. So the inevitable reset is what you're saying, Rodney, is still to come. Oh, I think so. Um, Having said that, I've been thinking that for some years, but one day I'll be right. Yes, no, I do. And um, I was quite, I have to say, I was extremely excited when I saw the coalition agreements. But since then, I feel as though there's been nothing. Like, there's no line in the sand anywhere. There's no line in the sand about the COVID inquiry. There's no line in the sand about transgenderism. We're just we're not going to have that rubbish in our schools. There's no, there's no line in the sand over uh, Maori issues and race issues. I shouldn't say Maori issues. It's not about Maori. It's all about politics. And you know that our politicians are devoid of any moral belief in their <laughs> yeah. politics. Yeah, like. Chris Luxon is an enigma to me because he is a Christian. But when it comes to politics, he's devoid of any moral belief. He's just being washed around. And he can't see what is being done to this country and to our young people. It's disgusting. He and you can't have- see or won't see or playing a long game. Um, I I believe he can't see. Because if he can see it and plays a long game, then he's sick. Because you you couldn't sit you couldn't sit aside and see one little girl abused. Right? No. You couldn't. Well, we're having thousands of kids abused by our education system that's teaching them that whether you're a boy or a girl is what your underlying identity is. That is abuse. And he knows that's happening. And I have to assume he's just not thought it through to what it means for little kids, what's going on in their heads. I have a problem with that. I have a problem with 
with him, someone like him not getting it. I just don't understand how that could be. Unless no. you're so, <laughs> you know, off the planet. Well, I had a, a very interesting text exchange with a good friend of mine, very, very loving, caring man, and I was raising with him transgenderism in sports. And he's involved in sports, and he literally didn't think it was a thing. Why? Never come across it. And that, oh, okay, yep. that, that struck me as extraordinary. And then you realise, you see, hard to believe, but there are still people that believe the news. That's the problem. And once you take that step, and maybe that's what my show is about, you know, people who no longer believe the news. And if you still believe news and you think, oh, you know, they got it wrong about X or they got it wrong about COVID, right, but I still fundamentally believe the news, then you're literally living in a different world to me. And me, yeah. You're like a programmed zombie to yes. me. I'm and sorry you don't, to say. And you don't with the realize. greatest respect. Yeah, and they don't realize. I yeah, it was funny. Yeah. It was I tell you a funny thing. I went and picked up some topsoil from a lady who had it spare and I was she had the radio going and I was shoveling away there and the news came on, Paul. Now I used to be in my twenties the most avid listener to the news. Every hour I'd have national radio on to catch I used to read it, mate. I've done I know. tens of thousands of them. I know. And I, if I missed it, it was like people are with Twitter now. I'd actually start to shake because something might have happened in that hour. And the news came on. And this fellow who sounded like a young Paul was telling me what had happened in the Ukraine that day. And I thought, this is extraordinary. Someone has actually decided to tell us this little bit. How? Yep. Who? Yep. And why? Yeah. And why? And I just, and I actually, it was, and I said, it's like, it, I literally regard it as an early propaganda. It's just constant propaganda to me now. Yeah. Right? It wasn't me five years ago. Well, it wasn't that a certain number of years ago, but it has become that, for yes. sure. Yes. I saw it happen. I was there when it happened. My goodness. And, I mean, of course, there would always be an opposing view. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> and and I used to think that the opposing view wasn't extreme enough, right? It would be sort of arguing around the Overton window or something like that, right? But when I look at a Luxon, I think he just maybe believes the news. Or which I think is, I, I, this is what I believe, I don't know. This is what I felt about John Key. And I, you know, used to meet with him weekly and sit with him in Cabinet. I believed he just was Prime Minister to put on a CV as an achievement. Well, that could be the case um, now as well. And um, and that's, that's the corporate ladder kind of trajectory yes. you'd want to have if you're that... Yes. Kind of person, right? Yeah, yeah. Or you're a Grant it's all Robertson. About how it looks. Yeah, or you're a Grant Robertson, right? And you start off and you get interested in politics and you become a student politician. 
and you stand work work in Parliament, stand for Parliament. Next minute, you're finance minister, and you just blow billions. You put our yep. children, our grandchildren, our great grandchildren in penurious debt. They'll be paying off that debt forever, and then you sail on. And you, you think, flick off to vice chancellorship, but yes, such and a predictable you, path. Well, it's actually makes me sick because it's a level of corruption in New Zealand and I not criminal corruption but corruption of the process. Who would hire him? No one. And why? No one. Why does he get that job? Well, we know why he gets that job because, you know, he's a he's part of the inside circle of decision makers. Well, that confirms it then, doesn't it? That, that... It does. And I mean, I, I I would have assumed that the University of Targo would be seeking the best person they could get to run the university. Given that we heard yesterday most universities are in moderate to severe financial strife. Yes. He is not a person, he, I mean. He knows how to spend money. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't know how to manage. You know, I mean, it's just, um, and it's not. I don't think it's sour grapes because I feel sorry for him. What's the job worth? Four hundred, five hundred k, six fifty. I saw six fifty. The gosh, it's a reward, isn't it? Well, it's, it's, it's like a golden parachute that. type of and, thing. But I mean, what does it send a message to our kids? Because we used to tell our kids, work hard, get your qualifications. Be good at your job, and you will make it. Yeah. And then splashed across this news, the, the news is an affable tubby guy, like me, um, worst minister of finance for decades, lands a cushy job, and the message is, oh, you could never get that job because you're not an insider. And the messages, and of course, that's the message we're sending over and over to our children. You couldn't get that job because it'll go to a married lesbian. You know, <laughs> it's that soft corruption of when you give up on merit and getting the best person. And I wouldn't care if our universities were run by all white men or all pygmies or all Chinese. As long as it works, whatever. the best it can work, right? Absolutely, because the job. The job is for our kids. Yeah, our kids are making a sh and their parents are making a huge sacrifice to be there. It's behoven upon you to do your utmost, and then not only that, from the whole country's point of view, the quality of our graduates matters, and we've got yep. this buffoon. And I mean, I like him if I meet him. I met him at the airport the other day and we shake hands and it's always affable. But the guy's a buffoon. I mean, his ideas. I mean, yeah. So, again, where is this being discussed and debated and pointed out? You can't. I, I won't forget him saying this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. He said that. Uh, yeah. I'm sure he's recanted what that. What a load of crap. I'm sure he's apologised for that. No, right? no he hasn't. <laughs> Bareface lying right in front of everybody. Sorry. They, God, I don't know if I can say this, but they, when when you're a politician, 
Power is intoxicating. I found this. And you make a decision and you see its ramifications and you feel amazed that you can do that. And it's like swinging the wheel on the Titanic and Mm. this big boat turns around and all you did was turn this little wheel, right? Yeah. And there they were, locking down businesses, shutting people out, sitting there in cabinet deciding whether you could see your dying mum, whether you'd wear a mask, when you'd wear a mask. I think they get off on it. Not in a, in a power trip sense, because never before that I can think of have politicians had such a lot of power to stuff us up on a daily basis and you feel as though these are the kids that were sort of bullied at school or something and they're getting back at us. Maybe. I don't know. Because it was terrible. Yeah, because but it's terrible. And every and of course when you start seeing it this way, it's always been so. That the quote that I just mentioned, and he did say that, um, they're all saying that. But think about that. You've got some one of the the, the leadership of the country identifying a group. And what he said is a license to persecute that group. Yes. It's also untrue, so it's a lie. Mm. Doesn't know what he's saying. And it's also reinforcing the belief that those who um, were the other way were doing the right thing, and it it kind of kept them locked in disinformation. So everywhere you look look at that and unpick that, it's just so rotten. Well, you only have to change the wording, don't you? To say Jews or Maori or Europeans. But that's not leadership. How could that ever be leadership? Yeah. Anyway, look, I've got to ask you. And Luxon, Luxon was in their boots and all. Yeah. Well, um, will you compensate vax-injured people? No. On that debate. It wasn't just, well, we could look at it. It was like a firm, nasty no. So where do these people come from? Makes you wonder, doesn't it? It does. I, before quick. before the COVID thing came on, I thought I'd gone to Parliament, figured it out, knew how it ran. <laughs> I know nothing. Right. I know nothing. I looked up at I that know Parliament. nothing. I know nothing. <laughs> Just a couple of quick questions. Um, who who affected you the most? Of all your guests, all your conversations on your show, who, and maybe it's not possible to do this, but I'm curious. I can think of a few on mine. But who, you know, smacked you between the eyes the most? I think his first name was James Harrison. His last name was certainly Harrison. And he left Glorivale. And it was great because he gave a comprehensive understanding of the Christian community and its many pluses, and but acknowledging the problems, whereas tends to be demonized in the media as, you know, one-dimensional thing. Yeah. And he escaped that community literally with 13 children and one on the way, and headed out into the world knowing, wondering what it was like. And that, to me, was just astonishing bravery and courage of him and his wife and his children. It was literally like an escape that you'd read about from East Germany over the war, but with kids. They literally got out with a shirt on their back. And then all their friends and community whom they'd grown up with, all their family, were cut off from them. But then there was a strange 
aspect to it because they were helped by a church group and they stayed with this family because they had nowhere to go. And the family said, you live in our house and we'll live in the tent because there's just a few of us. And I thought, who who but a Christian would do that? That's you beautiful. Know, that, it was so beautiful. And it's a story right on your doorstep. And it was, in a funny way, an everyday story. One of the great things about that community, of course, is they ate extremely well and they exercised. The kids weren't allowed to be fat. They'd get run around the block, um, around the paddocks, if they put on a kg until they were. And, and so there he is, and I could see him in the interviews, just a strong man. And then they ate like a Western A-Price diet. Their, their nutrition, they grew it all. They baked bread. They had no TV. They had no social media, no radio. And I remember working there, visiting there, and working there as a contractor. And that's why I had a nuanced view of it. And there was so much of it. It was amazing. And here he is with these healthy children and doing well as, a, as um, what do they call it, when you share, share milking and he's going on to get, his aim is to get his own farm. Mm. And um, that, to me, was a story that you could make a movie out of, and yet it was an everyday story. Yeah, That affected me. That just remind, you, just, you just reminded me of something, not to make it about me, but you just triggered no, me. No, I, know I was running down Ponsonby Road a few years ago in bare feet because I like to run in bare feet because I like to earth, you know, I yes. try and do that earthing thing. And I'm running down the road and there's a courier driver, Pacifica guy, probably in his mid-30s, late-30s, and he just dropped off a parcel and he was talking to one of the folks on the side of the road. He saw me with no shoes on and he stepped out and he stopped me and he said, I see you have no shoes on. He says, you can have my shoes. Isn't that and he started to take them off. I said, that is beautiful, but it's not what it seems. I like to run in bare feet, grounding, da-da-da-da. But that is so amazing. That It is. Yeah. There's a level of generosity in New Zealand that is truly beautiful. And again, that's what I like about the show, my show, because... You actually have real people on doing real things, and it's the everyday things, and it's uplifting. Yeah. And there's nothing uplifting about propaganda. And no, that's what it takes. You know what I mean? Down. It takes you down. Just what it does. Just takes you down. And I mean, they can't write a positive story. Everything's got to have a twist or a purpose. Or nothing's ever beautiful, just, is it? It can't be just what nothing it is. shines. No. No. Nothing's bright and beautiful. It's all and turds. And, all and, and, <laughs> and movies are like that now, aren't they? You know, yep. they got they, they just can't be an inspirational movie. I I feel extremely sorry for our children. And I just it's the mental gymnastics that they get put through as little kids when they're trying to understand the world. And the rotten philosophy that's foisted on them by the Kremlin, a.k.a. the Ministry of Education, and successive governments going back decades. And they're just left bereft without any framework of belief or philosophy 
other than a, a rotten one. Yeah. And That's I think how, well. how well. lucky we were to grow up God and country. Yeah. And the king or the queen in our case. And yeah, you can criticize it and you're free to. But you were grounded. Boys were boys. Girls were girls. Men were to be manly. Yep. And be prepared to fight for themselves and for others and for their women and for the children. To the death. To the death. And that's actually what you wanted to do as a young boy growing up. You wanted to defend defend your family and your country and the girls and your class. And you were taught to be an absolute gentleman. And I actually like that you could go off with boys and then with men and live in a man's world. And I loved living in a man's world as well. And there were places like workplaces. My father was a truck driver and I'd go off and be with him and then go on to drive trucks. And there were no women. And it was a man's world. And it yeah. felt great. And I can't see what it was it was wonderful. Now oh, I know a woman can do that. Yeah, okay. And um of course they can. Right? That wasn't the point. It was this it was what we were we were living in a modern world like we'd lived for thousands of years. And now we've created this whole new world. And men basically are toxic. And the virtues that were inculcated in us as a good thing are now vices. I, they'll, I, ca- I, they'll come I, back, Rodney. They'll come back. They'll make it I come. think they will. I think no, they're going to have to. They're going to have yes. to. Yes. Yeah. I, tell yeah. my, I tell my girls not to get tattooed because I good. think they're going to um, – I reckon it'll return to that very elegant 1950s, 1940s. I hope so. <laughs> where women are buxom and not skinny, starved yep. to death, emaciated, and not this sexless thing that started in the 70s with celebrities, you know, your David Bowies and your Mick yep. Jagger and your yep. Donners. It was, a, it was a terrible road to turn down, and we should celebrate, as they say on the left, our differences. But yes, I, I um, I used to think, I got a new thing. I say I used to think that the left were um, not understanding economics, and that they couldn't um, see the secondary consequences. You know, they'd say, oh, "Well, let's let's have fix the price of rents, and it'll help poor people." And you think, "Well, that's true." soon there will be nowhere for them to rent. Yeah. And it's a secondary consequence. And I used to think that was their problem, that they couldn't think longer term, and then the politics of it was to do something immediate. But nowadays, it seems to me that what I'm up against isn't the left or the right, but is actually up against, I don't know how else to put this, Paul, a mental illness. Because if you think that a seven-year-old can decide to be a girl, you're not well. And if you think it's a good idea to be teaching a seven-year-old that they may be a girl and not a boy, you're not well. Mm. I don't know how else to put that. 
Neither do I, actually. Um, okay, time's up here. So more, you know, without sound, making it sounding boring, more of the same coming up on the show, obviously. Um, and um, But a and, bigger range and a bigger diversity because yep. I feel it's growing. And what I'm noticing is more people are coming to us wanting to talk no, to that, us. No, that's true. That's That's happening. And, and you're also getting it, and the listeners, and yep. we're also getting the thing where you used to ring people up like politicians or people that would appear in the media and they'd say, oh, really, check radio, what's that? Oh, yeah, now it just says I'd love to. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, uh, we've noticed that at, uh, in our show as well. Quick reaction, politician, died suddenly, Efeso Collins yesterday. What's your reaction to that? Well, it's always sad, isn't it? And it's particularly sad for... 49, because, you, you know, 49 is a long time ago for me. And so he's lost a lot. But his children have lost a dad and the wife lost a husband. And there's a family, you know. And then my next thought was, I'm sorry to say this, but I thought I didn't know he was a Green MP. And then I Good thought, point. Yeah, yeah. What the hell is he doing as a Green MP? Because I knew him as a Christian he was a Pentecostal growing up. I knew him as an anti-abortionist. I knew him as against um, drug drugs. And I knew him as not all that fond of gay marriage and stuff. So what happened? Well, how do you... F I mean, good on the Greens because they practice what they preach in terms of diversity... But he's like a Christian heritage guy, you know, someone I'd support. Um, as in the Greens, every, everything of his core is opposed by them. I couldn't understand that. And so that prompted its thought to me. But I didn't, I mean, I'd met the guy, but I didn't really know him. But it's a loss. And, of course, you and I, it's awful to speculate, but you wonder, don't you, people dropping dead everywhere. You do. You do. All and right. You can't say it. And and the one thing we know, it won't be the Vax that did it. Okay, Lovely Rodney. Day. And um, just to remind folks, uh, your show is Tuesdays and Thursdays, yep, 10, ten through one. one. And then um, listen out for replays. And of course, the the replays on the website are always available. Going right. Yeah. And um, I love every listener. Thanks for tuning in to RCR Reality Check Radio. Do you like what you're listening to or dislike what you're listening to? Either way, we want to hear from you. Get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057. That's 2057. Or email us at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We'd love to hear from you. So connect with us today.